0: Please be seated. This is a Sunday when I know I'm going to hear from my dad. I usually talk to my parents at some point on a Sunday, but sometimes my dad reaches out first when there is a section that is redacted from the lectionary, which we have today. He's one of those who turns to what we're reading in his Pew Bible, and if we skip over, if the preacher skips over a part, skips a few verses and picks up later, he wants to discuss why. And they're usually very, that's good fodder for conversation. So, Dad, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) Psalm 139, I think if it didn't have this section in it, would be a favorite. It would be one that we all know by heart, just like Psalm 23. It would be one of those that we recite in unison at funerals, and yet it is not. And so what I'm going to do today is read the egregious part, the not safe for worship part that is usually redacted and glossed over, and we will come back to it later. And then I will read the part that is so beautiful, so beloved, from Psalm 139. Oh, that you would kill the wicked, O oh God, and that the bloodthirsty would depart from me, those who speak of you maliciously and lift themselves up against you for evil. Do I not hate those who hate you, O oh Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. It will be a great conversation. Of course, there is much from the Bible we would like to skip. We would like to redact. We would like to chop it up and pretend pieces of it aren't there. And yet the scribes who throughout centuries faithfully copied over the Bible continued to copy these words over. We still have it in our our manuscripts, this anger this railing against enemies, even to the point of bragging, thinking that God will give you brownie points for how much you hate your enemies. And now to turn to the more beautiful portion. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Thanks be to God for the words of the psalmist. This is beautiful, is it not? Although this, too, is a matter of perspective, I talked with a friend about the psalm this week who said, Oh, that one? God knows our thoughts before we even speak them? I always thought that one was a threat. (laughs) Is this God, like Santa, who knows when you're sleeping and when you're awake because God is ready to count out what is due to you? Do you have a guilty conscience that makes you bristle at these words and wish God would take a break from This watching over you, do you feel like this God who would say, smile, you're on camera? Is one who you would not like to know all of your thoughts? Or is this God watching over you out of pure divine love? Like a parent of a newborn baby who is just watching that baby monitor just ready to jump at the slightest cry to go bring comfort with absolutely no thought of judgment is this god who is like a friend who knows you so well he can finish your sentences surely the writer wrote this as a hymn of thanksgiving and praise this is good news to the writer that there is nowhere they can flee from god's love That God does, in fact, know everything about them and still loves them. Even the worst thing they can do cannot chase God away. And turning to our second reading from the first chapter of the Gospel of John. So, early on in the Gospel of John, we have just heard, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We have seen that Jesus has come to John to be baptized in the River Jordan. We have seen Jesus call his first disciples. The story is still just breaking open. And if we were hearing this for the first time, we wouldn't know much yet about Jesus or about his friends. And here is our reading from the Gospel of John in the first chapter, the 43rd verse. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. May God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and our understanding of God's holy word. Well, poor Nathaniel. He is one of the disciples. We can probably assume he is there in the Gospel of John from the beginning to the end, and yet in this Gospel he is only mentioned at the very beginning and again at the very end. I imagine he would be disappointed to see that this is all that is recorded of his ministry as Jesus' disciple. Imagine if at the end of your life and for decades Generations later, centuries later, the dumbest thing you ever said was all anyone ever knew about you. God save us from such a fate. And yet this exchange is just so real and honest. In honor of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day tomorrow, I think we could pause and take a look at this example of a gut reaction that displays an internal implicit bias. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel is ready to reject Jesus simply for, for where he was from. I think provincial is a great word. Being provincial can either mean that you are from a province, but it can also mean that you are narrow-minded, as though you have never left that little province. You don't have an appreciation for the ways of the world outside your own little town which calls to mind for me, Belle and Beauty and the Beast, singing in the opening about her poor provincial town. What Nathaniel shows when he makes this claim, can anything good come out of Nazareth, shouldn't really tell us anything about Nazareth, but instead that he himself is provincial, that he is small and narrow-minded. Anytime we think to ourselves, can anyone who is from this place or occupies that physical body, can anything good come from them? We show ourselves to be in need of the invitation that will follow. Arlene Studer tells me the story of the time she got up to preach and a gentleman from the pew got up and walked to the very back of the church but paused at the door and stood there remaining with his arms crossed for the rest of the service. And when the service was over, she went to shake hands at the back of the church, and he said to her, I was ready to walk out when a woman got into the pulpit. I wonder if this was in the 60s. He said, but you have changed my mind. All of our isms expose us for having inner work to do about how we feel about other people. It also has to do with how we feel about ourselves. Whether we are quick to judge someone is often reflective of a way we are afraid of being. What we like least about someone else, we are afraid of embodying ourselves. Valerie Corr, who was our um, keynote speaker at one of the United Church of Christ's general synods, has written a beautiful book, See No Stranger, she writes in this book, she's Sikh, and she writes in this book that an elder, Guru Nanak, writes, I see no stranger, I see no enemy. Nanak taught us that all of us could see the world in this way. There is a voice inside each of us, she writes, called how am I? The I that names itself as separate from you. It resides in the bowl that holds our individual consciousness. But separateness is an illusion. When we quiet the chatter in our heads, through music or meditation or recitation or song, the boundaries begin to disappear. The bowl breaks. For a moment, we taste the truth sweet as nectar. We are a part of one another. Joy rushes in. Long after the moment passes, we can choose to remember the truth of our interconnectedness, that we belong to one another. We can choose to see no stranger. She writes, I started a simple practice. As I move through my day and come across faces on the street or subway or on a screen, I say in my mind, sister, brother, sibling, aunt, uncle. I start to wonder about each of them as a person. When I do this, I am retraining my mind to see more and more kinds of people as part of us rather than them. I practice this with animals and parts of the earth, too. I say in my mind, you are a part of me. I do not yet know. I practice orienting to the world with wonder, preparing myself for the possibility of connection. So this gaff, or this betrayal of his internal consciousness, his internal state of mind. This offensive statement that Nathaniel makes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus' response is so interesting because what he says in return about him is, here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Is he teasing him for saying what's exactly what's on his mind? Is he critiquing him for not having a filter? I love a stand-up comedian, Taylor Tomlinson, and she has a really funny, many funny pieces about going to therapy. She said that she was initially afraid to go to therapy because she thought that it was going to be a therapist sitting there in a room with her saying, you are terrible. Those aren't the exact words she uses, but you can imagine. And instead she says, it's her going to the therapist saying, I am terrible, and the therapist saying, that's great, let's start there. I think Jesus accepts Nathanael and his implicit bias with a, you know what, Nathanael, that's great. There's no deceit in you. Let's start there. And I think for us, part of the challenge is to wonder, how do we hear the fact that God knows everything we're thinking? Is this good news? Is this a threat? Should we be ashamed? Do we want to say, oh, God, you saw me under the fig tree when I thought that thing. I shouldn't have thought or said that thing. I shouldn't have said God, you know my implicit biases against this group of person or that group of person. God, you know how hard it is for me to see no stranger and to encounter a God who says to us, that's great that you have now acknowledged it. Let's start there. The question is, can we trust that God is willing to start with us there? The Gospel of John at the end is very clear these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and in the beginning of the gospel of John in this very first chapter the gospel of John works in sets of 7 we're going to hear seven titles for who Jesus is they are lamb of God son of God rabbi son of man Jesus of Nazareth king of Israel and Messiah Nathaniel moves so far along his initial journey of faith that he bestows three of these titles on Jesus immediately as soon as he encounters him. When he realizes that Jesus was always in a relationship with him before he even knew who Jesus was. That is his moment of epiphany, of realizing who God is and how God loves him and how he's been right there with him all along. And he says to him that he understands who he is with those words. Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel, and he has moved us so far along toward accepting Jesus as Messiah. If we can accept Jesus as Messiah, in the Gospel of John Believing doesn't mean that we accept these things and understand them with our minds. We've talked about it before. It means that we're willing to live in this way, that we live in a way that we are willing to follow Jesus on this path and go on this journey, that like Nathaniel, who starts his experience of discipleship right here, putting his foot in his mouth, that he then assumes that he can come along the way, that he can move along in this process. So there are things in Scripture we might wish weren't there. We might wish that somebody had just taken the white out and gone right over Nathaniel's gaff so we could have an easier time when we come and wrestle with the Scriptures. We might wish that we didn't have the, the close of Psalm 139 where the psalmist betrays how much he hates his enemies. But if we're able to grapple with them, how much richer if this is a starting point for a life of faith? This refrain in this passage, come and see, this faith that we have as Christians is not one where someone can say to someone else, well, you should have been there. It's one where we can say at any point, come and see. Now, there is a Jesus, the resurrected Christ, who was ready to say, great, let's start here and pick up here with you and move you along forward along this way. The invitation that existed for the disciples then continues to exist for us now. Come and see. Come and encounter a God who knows you and still loves you. Come and encounter a Christ who accepts you and invites you along the journey. Does it matter if we have enemies and we've wished ill on them? Does it matter if we have been an enemy and we have blocked God's purpose for others? We might wonder... Could we, even we, still be invited? Could we still be welcomed to call ourselves disciples? Can we set out on this path of following Jesus? The one who knows us this well, really, does he really still love us? Will he still accept us? Can he start with us right where we are and work a miraculous transformation through us? Jesus promises we will see even greater things than these. Are these things for us? Friends, come and see.